Welcome to the Lions Made Podcast, episode 21. Today I had the pleasure of having two guests on the show, Coach Dave Gleason and Coach Erica Suter. You've heard both of those names before. If you haven't listened to their episodes already, please go back and listen to them as we're kind of building off previous information, previous discussions that we've already had. Although if this is your first time listening to the podcast, you're definitely going to have some major takeaways from this episode in itself. This is part one of our youth soccer training episode, so please keep your eyes out in the coming months for part two. But today we talk about everything that there is to know about youth physical preparation for soccer. That means early specialization, injury reduction, general physical preparation, and really everything. This is just a wealth of information. So I hope you enjoyed this discussion as much as I did. And please keep in mind, there'll be no Lions Bane podcast until the middle of January. So please go enjoy your holidays. Don't listen to me talk. Enjoy your break from that. Whether you celebrate or not, have a great few days off and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Coach Dave, Coach Erica, thank you so much for coming back to the Lions Bane podcast. It's always a pleasure to have you guys as guests, and I'm really excited about having a sort of roundtable panel discussion, Joe Rogan style, since that's super popular these days, about youth soccer training, which is a very well-researched topic, a very highly sought-after topic, a very highly <laughs> debated, um, hotly debated topic. Um, and it's about damn time that we had some experts in here to set the record straight. So. Erica and Dave, would you please introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'm Erica Suter, and I am a youth strength and conditioning coach based in Baltimore, Maryland. I am about to go into my eighth year of coaching, and I work with mainly elementary, middle school, high school, and college kids. And my mission is to ensure kids are healthy to play their sport, they have a passion for their sport, and they love movement. Awesome. So I'm, um, I'm Dave Gleason, based out of uh, just south of Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, I've been coaching longer than I really want to divulge on this podcast, but uh, I've had my own <laughs> facility for 10 years. And um, uh, in my facility, uh, not unlike Erica, we start um, – with elementary school kids, we actually start with shy six-year-olds, go all the way up to 18-year-olds, and we'll have some returning uh, college athletes. But our, our bread and butter is really middle school, late elementary school, uh, middle school, and high school kids. And we are just trying to make sure that they are learning how to take care of themselves, um, learning to have perspective when it comes to youth sports and what it really means for them in their, in their young lives and um, really help bring back the enjoyment of not just soccer, the beautiful game, but help bring back uh, or instill a physical culture of enjoyment and wanting to take care of themselves physically. I love that. That's uh, a great mission statement. So let's dive right into some of these hotly contested topics. Um, early specialization is a term that we throw around a lot, uh, argue about. I've already done a podcast on this with Dave, and we discussed kind of why that's important, generally what it means, and the basics of, yeah, life has changed since we were kids. We used to go outside and run and play all the time and play multiple different sports, so you kind of developed as an athlete. Uh, now it's a lot of being on the ball and picking 
really young, sometimes as early as six and eight. Yeah, this is my sport and I'm sticking to it. Um, so can you guys be a little bit more specific with me and what you've seen with athletes who have really specialized and, and those who have not, and those who you've had to encourage not to, let's say, what is early specialization and where do you stand on that? Yep, so it's it's been the same for almost three decades and it's when kids just focus on one single sport year round. Um, back in the 90s, I would have been a little bit more okay with a kid just playing one sport only because we were doing other things. We were getting outside, uh, playing capture the flag, tetherball, four square, flag football with the neighbors. So back then it wasn't really much of a problem because the year round model didn't really exist at that time. But now it's early specializations becoming a lot more controversial. Um, I would say year round soccer started in the early 2000s. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dave. But it's concerning because there is not a month, I would say not even a single two weeks, where kids are taking a break from their primary sport. And the, the research is there. I, I've seen this in my experience. But a lot of these kids, they, they can't move in a healthy way. They're, they're not coordinated. They're falling under compensatory movement patterns. And that's only going to lead to injuries, uh, stress fractures, chronic soreness, um, even ACL tears. So that's, that's my definition of early specialization, primary sport with not a whole lot of extra movement or variety of movement going on outside of that. I think that was very well put. Um... I think the landscape obviously has changed, as Erica had mentioned, and it continues to change. So the only caveat I'd really add to that from what I've been seeing is it's also not only become their only sport that they're engaged in, but for a lot of especially younger children um, who aren't engaged in some type of a strength and conditioning program to you know, get to the next level, it's also their primary source of exercise. Yeah. And that, I think, is really, it's like putting gasoline on a bonfire. It's just, uh, I just saw another statistic the other day, which, I mean, we could probably do an hour just on going over statistics and research and why early specialization is not what we should be allowing our children to do. But I just saw another one over the last four years in the U.S., um, ACL injury rate is up 400%. I saw that too. It's yeah, and there that is a horrific statistic. Yeah. I mean, it'd be bad. I was talking to one of my coaches about this. It would be bad enough that it was, if it was up 25% over the last four years. Yeah. Like every, every time research comes out, or, you know, anecdotally, the three of us could probably go on for days in terms of the stories of who's had success long term and who has not. Mm -hmm. Um, and the correlation between early specialization and not, and what happens to a child, even if they're an early succeeder, you know, in elementary school, what happens when they hit that roadblock um, 
you know, in high school or whatever. But the, the statistics and the research is so alarming. I, I don't, I understand where the disconnect is, but I don't. And it's, 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 it is very alarming, but um, just in terms of defining it, I think Erica hit the nail on the head. And uh, again, the only thing I could add to that briefly was that it's also unfortunately become their, their primary source of activity or exercise. And now I'm also seeing this trend for older and older kids. So now you've got a high school kid that's a soccer player that if they're not on a field, they're not moving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I, that's a huge problem is like, again, I'd be okay if there were kids early specializing and they were either in a year round strength and conditioning program, or they were getting outside and doing a bunch of different games with their neighbors and friends. But nowadays all as an example, I'll have like, sixth graders come to me so 12 year olds and across the board these are the things I see lack of coordination weak posterior chain um, and a lack in confidence and these are early specializers and these are the kids I look at and I'm like oh man the way they move is really making me cringe and, it, and it's really scary because like Dave said they're not getting other movement outside of that sport yeah the ones that i see become those very they become even quicker by like age 15 they take on all of those very very typical long-term soccer player qualities the hunched shoulders the overdeveloped quads the lack of pelvic stability or lumbopelvic stability um, do you guys see that as well that they take it on that young or quicker than the that we did in our Absolutely. generation yeah, absolutely. I see a lot of this lack of, I see a ton of lack of, um, which you wouldn't think so because of the nature of the sport, but also a ton of lack of ankle mobility. Mm -hmm. So there's a ton of towing out. They're almost absolutely. in plantar flexion all the time, which leads to ankle and knee and hip issues. If they plant hard enough or in the wrong angle. Um, yeah, you know, it's very interesting as Erica was talking, I was thinking about, you know, it's put, it's put kids in a very difficult situation because what Erica alluded to is we used to grow up much differently. I mean, I grew up in the, in the seventies and the eighties where we developed most of our athleticism in the neighborhood. Like we had this base of coordination, including reactivity and balance and agility. And, you know, we just, because we were being pursued or, or we were chasing someone like all the time. Um, we were climbing, rolling, roughhousing, like all these things. So now, even when we do, when we're lucky enough to get a child in one of our programs, it's like we're in this position where, okay, now do we like pick apart exercise where it should be so holistic and fun? It's like, okay, now we have to work on their posterior chain. Okay, kids, now we have to work on our, our dorsiflexion and ankle mobility. And it's like these kids are younger and younger and younger and let's just face it unless we can figure out really fun ways to do that in my opinion we're also setting them up for setting them up for failure as adults because we all know in the, well in the u.s anyway how poorly we've segmented and glamorized exercise and the fact that it, it you know 
as a whole, we're a very unhealthy nation. So like, that's to where like my mission of building a physical culture, it early specialization digs into that as much as it damages or has the potential to damage them in terms of physicality, in terms of injury or, you know, plateauing too soon or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't agree more with, with all of what you guys just said. Um, I think the next step we should take is talking about building coordination, which mm-hmm. when you get kids as young as six, eight, ten coming in, it's shocking how uncoordinated they are because again, <laughs> they are a lot of times just playing soccer. Maybe they're going out and playing um, outside a little bit, or maybe they have to do sport at school. I'm not really sure how it works in American schools at the moment, but we at least had phys ed when I was younger in sport classes. But coordination is always an issue. And I have athletes coming to me at 15 to 20 and also having coordination issues. So where do we start building in coordination with youth athletes and how do you guys tackle that task and implement it long-term? Right. So, I would say as soon as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, I mean, the day that they come in the door, um, even if it's a high school kid, I explain to the parents and to the athletes, the first thing we're going to do is make sure from a coordination standpoint that you're at least at what I would consider a base level of competence. Um, because w- just for everybody listening, when we talk about coordination, um, you know, when I grew up, kids were either coordinated or they weren't. Like, you were either, like, falling over your own feet when you're trying to run around in the, in the playground, or you could run around. But now we know that there's so many different elements of that. I mean, we can talk about balance, spatial awareness, kinesthetic differentiation, kinesthetic awareness. We can talk about timing and rhythm. We can talk about uh, reactivity, of course, like all these different things. Um, contralateral coordination. So, you know, right hand, left foot, um, cross patterning, crossing the midline. Um, There's so much involved. And these are all the things for the people that are listening that Eric and I are really talking about when we talk about early specialization gets in the way of kids developing this all of these very, very, very important things that a child needs to have as a base so that they can become a better soccer player. So um, for me, and I've talked to Erica about this many times, and I'll let her chime in here, but most of what we do in our our programming (laughs) from a time perspective is, is it has something to do with coordination even with our high school and college athletes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that, Dave. Um, especially for the younger kids, we're starting them as early as possible. And a lot of what we do is centered around more movement in general is going to help with kids' coordination. But we're in our programs, we're putting them in situations where they're doing fun games but these games aren't just tossed together for the heck of it they're working on the skills like Dave put um, whether that's rhythm uh, spatial awareness reacting um, 
their strength against their body weight as resistance, their balance. So I think like when a lot of parents watch our sessions for the first time, they're like, oh, this is just like a P class or this is just a bunch of crap thrown together. But there's like a lot of thought put into it because we're thinking about what kids need and what they're not getting on the playground and in their neighborhood. And we're putting that into our gym programs. And even as Dave said, like in our high school athletes and our college athletes, we're constantly reinforcing coordination every time they come in. So whether that's in their warm up or their movement prep or their core work through bird dogs and dead bugs or plank bird dogs, everything is done contralaterally, opposite arm, opposite leg. And that's continuously reinforced as a skill for the length of an athlete's career yeah consistency until they become all clean reps right yeah absolutely i think one of the easiest examples um to illustrate for people listening and i think the three of us you guys will probably chuckle when i say this but how many times have you started with a very very high level soccer player at any age and you merely have them skip for 50 feet and they can't yeah. skip their ipsilateral. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All the time. All the time. Right. Yeah. Um, that's a, I think most people, even if you're, you know, a volunteer coach for a youth for a recreational program, listening to this, you would agree that that's a fundamental movement that is absolutely necessary for any athletic endeavor, any team sport. Um, and now on the other side of it, we do a lot of skipping, right? Because it teaches the kids force production. Again, there's contralateral coordination in there. It teaches them force absorption when they come back down. It actually teaches them running posture. Um, there's so much you can do with skipping. But folks need to know that it's not uncommon to get a new athlete in one of our programs, even if they play at a super high level. That can't skip in a straight line. Yeah. And this is something that, like you said, Dave, co team coaches probably see at their practices. And I think it's, it's paramount that clubs and coaches understand or have a basis of understanding of child growth and development. Because they have the opportunity to give kids what they need as well. So I'll, I'll see a lot of having a U8 team warm up with laps around the field. And that's like 10 minutes wasted when you could have done a fun skipping mm -hmm. warm up or a fun crawling game or like hopping or like rolling and then holding your balance and standing up. Like there's so much opportunity within team practices and it, all takes less than 10 minutes and it truly gives the kids what they need to start developing that coordination and and it shouldn't just be on on the performance coaches like us like I want to be able to provide solutions here for team coaches because they sometimes see the kids more than us because at this point it's year-round you know that's a great point and maybe that's something we should throw together to provide as a resource for coaches out there where not that 10 minutes is necessarily enough, 
but it is enough time if you could set aside the first 10 minutes of every practice to give the kids what they need in terms of coordination training and just general athleticism. Um, because the other thing I think we need to start to do as an industry on the strength and conditioning side is find some way to meet coaches, DOCs, and club owners in the middle. Yeah, um, Because right now I feel like we're two bookends and, you know, the kids are the books in the middle and we're just kind of basically we're battling over time. And we're so trying unfair. to keep the kids healthy. Yeah, we're trying to keep the kids healthy mm-hmm. um, on top of, you know, putting them in a position where they can succeed at a higher level. And unknowingly, I will say unknowingly, um, many clubs, DOCs, and coaches are the antithesis of that. You know, it's it's more skills practices, more skills practices, more tournaments, four yeah. games in a weekend. Um, and Absolutely. their intentions are also very, very good and they're pure. They want to help their kids get better at the sport. They just don't understand from a human development point standpoint and neuroscientific standpoint coordination training will make them a better soccer player without a ball at their feet absolutely yeah absolutely yeah Yeah, something that I try and point out with my athletes as well as with my head coaches is actually not integrating the ball into everything we do like specifically when I'm on the pitch giving on-field sessions for example like I don't want them to sprint on the ball or have the ball in, um, I don't know how you say that in English, like in their line of sight. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't want them to race each other to the ball. Like there's a time and a place for that. But honestly, in soccer, there are 22 people on the pitch that are allowed to touch the ball and only one of them gets to have it at the same time. So (laughs) most of the sprints that are done are not done on the ball. And I want us to be able to develop the strength, power and speed for the other 90% of the game besides the time when you're on the ball. yeah. And that's been a really interesting discussion to have with coaches as well, because that's so the antithesis of what they're used to. And it's kind of hard to break that, hey, it's important that they develop this apart from just staring at a at a football at their feet. Yeah. And it's it's hard to, if you're bringing the ball in with the performance training, it's hard to truly focus on one thing, you know, because it's, I, I gave an example the other day, if you're I see like eight year olds on Instagram attached to resistance bands all the time dribbling. And my question is, what are you working on? Right. <laughs> like, are you, like, are you working on B dribbling? Cause clearly not because he's taking really small steps. Um, yeah. And are you working on acceleration? Clearly not because he's not driving his knees forward hard enough on the balls of his feet with the forward lean and good posture. Like what are, what are you working on? So just getting rid of the ball altogether is going to allow kids to focus on coordination, posture, um, strengthening their posterior chain or whatever they need to strengthen so that they're able to stay healthy. It's just, it, the ball is not always necessary to develop the total athlete. And a lot of people find when they do the strength piece by itself, that's organically going to improve the technical skills. Yeah, definitely. And um, even taking the competitive piece out of it, which is obviously our job in the gym sometimes is the strength coaches is to like 
be like, okay, focus on yourself. What's your RPE, not what's everybody else doing. Um, mm -hmm. With, you know, I don't want the athletes to be focused on the ball. I don't want them to be focused on outrunning the person next to them, their teammate or whoever that is. I want them to give me their best 100% sprint with good form. I don't want them to run so fast trying to out sprint somebody that they sacrificed their form and then now that sprint was for nothing and that was an ugly rep. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's an uphill battle. I think but now I'm on a tangent. It, so. it is. <laughs> it is. I think that's why if we can um a you know provide resources for coaches but also we got to continue to educate like i think one of the things that coaches are up against because i hear this all the time is that well they need more skill work their skill level isn't where it should be potentially for their age group um and whether that's true or not with any individual athlete mm -hmm. the other mitigating factor here is that out of a club of say seven, eight hundred kids, not all of your kids are going to practice on their own in the backyard, yes. right? That's another area where kids, uh, at least in the states, are growing up differently. Like I was the kid that, if I had a bad practice, I was outside in my backyard, like like trying to get better. That was just me. But, like, we played outside more, so it wasn't – it was normal. Right now, like, I hear this all the time from, from club coaches, especially, like, they're just not practicing on their own, and they're right. But I think what they need to let happen a little bit is just a natural evolution of each individual player's development. And you know what? If the player wants it bad enough, they're going to practice on their own. But going into a structured practice for a third or fourth time during the week isn't in their best interest long term. Yeah, absolutely. You so know, what would so you that, recommend like, then, Dave? How many how many sessions would you then recommend in that situation? So you know, I, I it's funny because I remember I can remember the day when club practices and even town, especially recreational practices went from one practice a week to two. I was like, wow, that's, they're starting to load them up a little bit. You know what I mean? I'm like, that's great if it's a good quality practice and you get two practices a week or, um, I don't know that I can recommend a, a number, but I can say that three, I, I think actually I will, I think two practices a week, depending on the child, the age, the level of competition, like in the States, an academy level player. Um, yeah, I can see, because they're not playing high school ball, I can see them practicing, you know, four four days a week maybe, four or five days a week, depending on when their, their matches are going to be, what their match schedule is. Um, but in the States, on the other side of that, we have, you know, U10 and U12 girls who they're just practicing three or four days a week, every single week for a year straight. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's too much. So for me, the, I think the wheelhouse for most kids, cause let's, let's face it too, DA that, that at least in the States, it's, that's an elite level. Mm -hmm. um, so for everybody else that falls underneath that, which is probably 95% of the kids in this country, I think, the wheelhouse is probably about two a week. 
because then they have an opportunity to do other things that will help them with their athleticism, with their injury resistance or resilience and all the other things that we talk about. And if they're practicing twice a week, given they have a really good coach, they're probably getting a good 30 to 45 minutes of quality skill work with their coach. Mm -hmm. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that can be an issue where the practice isn't intense enough or the technical piece is ignored in general. And it's just like scrimmaging and small sided games and they're not really breaking down the skills. Then yeah, like a kid might need a skills trainer because it's not being covered enough at the practices or they might need to That's a great point. Start working on their own time um, because it's not happening with their team. Yeah. That's, that's a great fair. point. And I, I know so many players that uh, like I do skills training too. And I know so many players that, that come to me for shooting technique and these are high schoolers wow. and I them like do you do shooting and finishing and crossing at practice and they say no and I get really confused (laughs) because that's that's the time to learn it to learn the technique from your coach and then do it under pressure in a game situation or in a shooting drill so that that for me is is a big one it's like what's being covered at team practice if it's not being covered then the kid needs to find a way to fill that bucket elsewhere Mm-hmm.